Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. So if you're new with us, uh, we've been going through this teaching series uh, called The Kingdom of God, and we've been looking at some different things. And the reason for that is because when we see in Acts, after the resurrection of Jesus, Luke tells us that Jesus spent time with his disciples for a period of about 40 days, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And so we've been looking at some of these things that go along with this idea of the kingdom. Then the first thing that we really learned about the king, we talked about this kingdom being not just a, uh, a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom, that there is a, uh, a heaven that we are waiting for to be with God, and he's going to bring his kingdom to reign and rule on the earth for eternity. Uh, but in the meantime, he's bringing his kingdom through us, and that his kingdom is being established through the people who are citizens of his kingdom. So then the second week of this series, we really looked at and talked about what the king of that kingdom is like. And one of the things that we determined about him is that he's patient. Uh, extraordinarily patient even, to call people to repentance, to give them chance after chance to return to him and to come into his kingdom. And the last gift that he sent to make that possible was his son, Jesus. And if you reject Jesus, you don't have a place in the kingdom. And so we see God's patience can run out in our rejection of his son, but we continues to give us chance after chance after chance to come into his kingdom to be a part of that. Then last week, Kyle really was, was teaching and did a great job walking through some things, talking about the the idea that this is a family kingdom, that we become part of the family of God, that we're not just citizens of the kingdom, we're not just subject to God, but we're adopted into his family, that this is a family movement that's taking place. And as we go out into the world, we are sons and daughters of God, adopted by him, made heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, that we have this equal standing with even the son, that he brings us into this, this kingdom and says, you're, you're adopted in as my son. And you're adopted in as my daughter, and I'm giving you this status with me and my family. And so we've been looking through these things, and today we're going to be talking about this idea that for the focus of the kingdom, that there's going to be this thing that Jesus says is going to advance throughout the whole world. And so we're looking at the advancement of the kingdom and what God's doing to establish it and bring it in to pass. And so the passage we're going to be looking at today is actually pretty short, pretty simple, uh, but we're going to connect it back to another event in Jesus's life that happens right before he says this. And then we're going to go back and we're going to catch up with what we just read from Daniel. And we're going to see what that dream that Belshazzar had has to do with the kingdom of God today. And so if you will, in, in Luke chapter 13, we're going to pick up in verse 18. And read this together. Here's what he says. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Well, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Right? So if you will, just pray with me this morning as we go in and look at this passage together. So Father, we just ask and pray that in the middle of this moment that we have, that you would speak into our hearts and into our minds. 
God, we're all coming into this place in, in different uh, in capacities with different trains of thought, with different things that have happened in our lives this week. And, and God, we're, we're all in a, a place that we need to hear from you. We need to understand what you're saying to us. And I pray that you open our minds, open our ears, open our eyes to understand, to hear, and to see, and that you'll be glorified as we look at your word today. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as Jesus is talking about this, this actually goes back to something else that happens right before, because you'll notice the first things that Jesus says in verse 18, it says, then Jesus asked. So when you see that idea of going, then Jesus did something, there's something that happened before it that made Jesus ask this question. So I want us to go back and look at this in chapter 13, starting in verse 10, something that's taking place because what's happening here is that Jesus is in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath. He's at worship just like we are today. And there's an event that's taking place. And so here's what we find in verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up, and she praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. So Jesus is constantly doing things that challenge the cultural norms of his day, right? And so on the Sabbath, he goes in and he'll heal people and the Pharisees will get upset with him. The religious leaders will get upset with him. And he's constantly challenging their heart of legalism to bring them to a point of understanding what the kingdom of God is really like. And what they're leading the people to do is not the way of the kingdom, and so he's calling them into this place to understand more of life in the kingdom. And so the story in Luke's gospel highlights the fact that in Jesus's ministry, he's constantly facing opposition, that there are people who are coming against him, that they don't want him doing the things that he's doing, right? And so as Jesus is going about his ministry and saying, I'm going to introduce a kingdom, I'm going to bring a kingdom to play, you would imagine that sometimes it would get frustrating, especially to his followers, to look and go, but everywhere you turn when you're trying to bring this kingdom to play, there's opposition. How is it ever going to take root? How is it ever going to unfold? How is anything ever going to happen that's kingdom-oriented in the way that you're talking about when there's constantly opposition in front of you? Right? And so for them, they saw this as a reason to stop. But for Jesus, he would keep moving forward and pressing in. The truth is, in the matter of these things, is that opposition to the kingdom, whether it's spiritual or of human nature, has no ability to stop the advancement of God's kingdom. His kingdom is going to prevail. It is going to move forward. Jesus will rule and reign. And so no opposition is going to stop that. We often see opposition as a reason to stop. And we'll go, man, if, if people are pushing against me, I better step away. If there's opposition to this thing, I better stop what I'm doing. If there are people who don't want it, fine, I'll just pack up my bags and go home. I'll leave and go somewhere else and start that thing over there, or I'll go do this thing over here. If it's going to cause opposition, I'm just going to stop and give up. And Jesus doesn't do that. And it's interesting because when you read in the, the other patches of the New Testament, 
You see that the Apostle Paul learned from Jesus this approach to pressing into opposition and saying when opposition comes out, there's news there and a sign there that God is at work and his kingdom is prevailing. Not that it's being diminished, but that it's prevailing. And so here's what we read about Paul when he gets into a place of opposition. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul writes this, and he's writing to the people of Corinth, and he says, After I go through Macedonia, I want to come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a little while, or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose it. Right? And so when Paul sees this, Paul didn't see opposition as a reason to leave his ministry and go somewhere else. He saw this and went, man, if the kingdom of the darkness and if Satan's kingdom is trying to oppose me, that must mean that God's at work here. Like if there are people who are coming against me, it must mean that God's doing something and I need to press in even harder that I'm going to move into this opposition that I face and that I'm going to continue to push in to what God has for me. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to say there's kingdom work that's happening here and I'm going to press in because the kingdom of God will advance even through opposition. And so we don't have to quit and give up in moments where we face this kind of difficulty. That's why Jesus teaches about the mustard seed and the yeast. He wants us to see some things and draw out some things to go. There is kingdom principles that we need to understand. And so Jesus starts teaching and he says, so then these things happen and opposition comes, but I want you to understand what my kingdom is like. And he says, what then is it like? Jesus is talking with simile here. He's making some metaphors and he's not saying the kingdom of heaven is a mustard seed or the kingdom of heaven is yeast. He's saying it's like these things. So what are these things like? And he tells us it's like a a mustard seed. It's small, but when it goes into the ground and it's planted, it grows exponentially larger than it ever was before. So much so that it, it looks like a large plant or a small tree and the birds can even perch in its branches and they can find rest and harbor and peace and safety there. It provides for them. For us as humans, we can find shade under its, its branches. There's things that we get from this tree. And he says the, the kingdom of God starts small, but it grows exponentially. It has the capacity to do far more than anybody thought from the small seed, the small beginning. There's something big that explodes out of it. Or the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman mixed into the dough, right? And it says 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour. If you're making bread and you have, are doing it with 60 pounds of flour, you're making a lot of bread. Uh, And so he says, if you just mix a little bit of yeast in that, though, and it works all the way through, guess what? It's going to permeate the entire batch of dough, and it's going to make the whole thing rise. And it's going to cause something to happen that wouldn't have happened without it. And so when he says these things, he goes, these small, insignificant, seemingly insignificant things, when you put them to work in the ground and in the dough, they've got the opportunity to do something powerful. And so Jesus is pointing us to this reality that there are things that are happening here with the kingdom of God and what it's like that challenge us. And so if you're taking notes this morning or following on our app, here's the first thing I want you to see. When Jesus teaches us about his kingdom in this passage, he's telling us that what comes from small beginnings is going to grow into an unstoppable force. That these things that are so small, and Jesus is going, I know right now it looks small. I know it looks like there's opposition to everything that I'm doing. I know I've only got a few followers, but there is so much that's going on here. And so I think Jesus wanted his followers to know 
that his kingdom was going to be different than the expectations that they had for a messianic kingdom. The Jewish prevailing mindset was that when the kingdom of God came, it was going to explode onto the scene and it was going to rapidly take over and the king would come and make his throne and he would destroy his enemies and the kingdom would be returned and they would have all this explosive stuff that's happening immediately. And Jesus goes, I want you to understand that it's hard work. I want you to understand that it takes time. You put a seed in the ground, it's going to take it time to grow. But over time, it's going to become vastly more than what it was when it was put into the ground. And so he's trying to teach us these things to understand what starts small over time will grow exponentially. Now, you might could think about some things that uh, have started small and have grown exponentially over time. We might even just think about our country, as it were, right? When we were founded as a nation, we were 13 individual colonies under British rule, right? But bucking the kingdom of uh, empire in Britain, we kind of established ourselves, and now the United States has grown into this crazy thing, right? Largest um, military in the world, largest economy in the world in some senses, and so we've got all this power, all this dominance, but it started just really small. For better or for worse, what started small has grown into this conglomerate, this huge thing. Or you might think about something like Amazon. Uh, if you don't like the political side of things and talking about countries and nations, you go, look, what Amazon did. Amazon started in Jeff Bezos' basement or garage, right? Like the guy just said, I'm going to start. And so if, for those of you who don't know what Amazon was originally like, so you teenagers are just graduating from high school and you're just like, Amazon's always been this crazy huge thing. No. Do you know what? It started as a company to sell books online. Like that's all they sold was books. Amazon, right? Blow your mind. Crazy, right? And so he's going, I'm just going to out of my garage probably his parents' garage. He's like, I'm just going to sell books. That's what I'm going to do. And then guess what happened? Ebooks became a thing. And Amazon jumped on that train and went, let's get on the forefront of ebooks. And they became the world's fastest seller of ebooks. Then they decided, hey, let's start a product. We've got this thing called a Kindle so people can read their ebooks that we're selling to them. Now the first product is out there. And then before you know it, they're selling everything under the sun. Right and now, Amazon is a $1.65 trillion company. If Amazon were a country, they would be the 15th largest economy in the world. The two behind Amazon would be uh, South Korea and Australia. <laughs> like Amazon's bigger than Australia. That's crazy, right? Started out of a guy's garage. So these things that start small have the capacity to grow huge. So when we think about this, we think about the kingdom of God expanding and growing over the whole earth. And that's why we tie back into what Daniel said this morning and what John read from the book of Daniel. We read the passage about the king who had a dream and he was troubled by his dream. He couldn't sleep. But rather than tell his wise men and his astrologers the dream, which most people would do, go, hey, let me tell you about this dream that I had and then you're going to interpret it for me. I think that the king was probably a little bit concerned that if I tell you this dream, you're going to tell me some things that I want to hear, or you're going to kind of make it sound like things that are for me and, and positive toward me. And so he kind of goes, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I want you to tell me the dream that I had and interpret it. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you to do that before. Could you tell me what I dreamed last night? No, no, I can't. I don't have any capacity to do that at all. Neither do you. Right? And so he goes, well, fine. If nobody can do that, I'm just going to kill all of you. And he's going to get rid of his entire wise men section of his kingdom. Until Daniel hears about this, and Daniel goes, if you'll give me some time to pray with my friends and ask God to reveal this mystery to me, I'll come back to you with the, the meaning of the dream. And that's exactly what happens. Daniel and his friends, they spend time in prayer. They fast. They ask God to show them what's going on. And God allows Daniel to see the dream that the king had had. And so the king 
uh, Daniel goes to the king, and here's what he finds. We we're told in the passage, in the dream, Daniel saw a statue with a head of gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, and its feet partly made of iron and partly of baked clay. Then it says that a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. The rock destroyed the statue, and the wind swept it away, but the rock became a huge mountain, and it filled the whole earth. And so when we see this, I want to tell you now what Daniel says about this dream. And I want to read it. We've read, John read a little while ago. We've just kind of looked at a, a briefing about this, of what the statue's like, what it looks like, what happens with it. But here's the interpretation. Daniel chapter 2, verse 36 says, This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. The next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay... So the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will endure itself forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that, all, uh, that an offering and incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods. And the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So Daniel's given the ability to see future events. And he goes, King, all these things that you're dreaming about, they're kingdoms that are coming. And you're the great kingdom, you're the head of gold, but every kingdom after you is going to be a little less valuable, a little less strong. There's going to be these different things that happen, but eventually there's going to be a kingdom that comes a rock that's cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, and is thrown at this statue, and the statue is destroyed, and he says, and then that rock is going to become a mountain, and that mountain is going to cover the entire earth, and it's going to be a kingdom that will have everlasting impact. It'll endure forever. And so Daniel's pointing ahead to these things about the kingdom of God, and so if you're taking notes, here's what I would want you to see. God's kingdom is the only one that will endure for eternity. All the other kingdoms of the world will be swept away. And for Daniel and his time and the time between Daniel and Jesus, that's exactly what happened. Like we see the Babylonian empire fall. We see the kingdom of the Medes and Persians fall. We see Greece fall. We see Rome rise to power. And by the time after Jesus, within a couple of hundred years after Jesus, Rome has fallen from power. Kingdoms on earth will rise and they will fall. 
the closest thing we might have is the British Empire. Right? When we think about yesterday was Coronation Day for the new king, right? We have a new king in Britain. And, uh, and so we see this in years and years and years ago, it would have been said the sun never sets on Great Britain. Why? Because they had kingdom reach all over the globe. But today, that's not true. They no longer have that kind of reach and power. Their kingdom has fallen. Guess what? The kingdom of the United States, it won't always look like it does today. Powers rise, powers fall. The kingdom of God endures forever. This is why we as Christians have to get to a place where we don't attach our hearts and our minds and our lives so tightly to empire in this world where we're saying this country is my kingdom. Everything is attached to here. I'm all about the United States. I love our country. But if your heart is so attached to this that if it goes away, you don't know how to live as a Christian anymore, you've missed it. The kingdom of God has to be of first and greatest priority. And in our lives, we're looking and seeing the kingdom of God expanding all over the world. And so when we think about this, we go, man, I, I like the idea of things rising and falling, and I've seen that, but we've not really seen empire kind of rise and fall in our time, in our generation. Uh, but maybe we would think about it more from a perspective of like global business or something like that. And so does anybody remember Blockbuster Video? Remember that amazing thing that happened in our world? Uh, if you're younger than about 24, you probably don't remember Blockbuster Video, but there was a time in life that if you wanted a movie to watch at home, you would drive on a Friday night or a Saturday night to a parking lot, and it would be full of all kinds of people who were just hanging out in the parking lot. Uh, that's at least how it was in my town. That was the place for teenagers to hang out was the Blockbuster parking lot. I don't even know where the Blockbuster was in Kingsport. Where was this thing in Kingsport? Did you guys have one? You had a... What? Near where Panera is. Oh, fantastic. All right. Across the street. Okay, fantastic. There you go. So guess why I didn't know that? It's not there anymore uh, because this other thing rose to power. What was it? Netflix. Netflix started going, hey, you don't have to go anywhere to get a movie. We'll just mail it to you. They mailed DVDs in the mail. Teenagers, this is crazy, right? They would send you a DVD in the mail, and you would go, oh, this is kind of cool. I got a DVD. Now I just have to remember to mail it back to them when I finish watching it, or I'm going to get charged. Then this next thing came up, what? Redbox, right? And Redbox had a DVD distribution center on every corner. You didn't have to go somewhere far away from your house. You could go to the local CVS or Walgreens because every one of them have a Redbox, right? And so you've got this thing. You're going, I can go and get it and I can watch the movie for two bucks and I can take it back tomorrow and it'll be done. I'm going to pass right by and I'm going to stick the thing back in and everything falls. Then what happens? Redbox. Nobody cares about Redbox anymore. Who watches DVDs at all? What do we have now? Netflix made a huge comeback. It's the streaming service. It's Prime. It's Disney Plus. It's Paramount Plus. It's HBO Max. It's all these things that you're just going, yeah, just sit on your couch and press a button. You can watch anything you want to, right? Like it's the streaming industry. The empire was huge of blockbuster video, and now it's gone. In my hometown, it's a Pizza Plus or Little Caesars or something. It's a Little Caesars, right? Yeah, Pizza Pizza, not Movies Movies. Like it is gone. You're like, this is the way of the world. Empires rise, empires fall. And Jesus is telling us, when you think about the kingdom of this world, don't attach yourself too much to these earthly kingdoms because the kingdom of God is the only one that's going to last forever. Make sure you attach yourself firmly to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus knew this thing is going to start small, but it's going to grow incredibly large. And so the last thing that I want us to do this morning is look at how Jesus intended to do that. And he intended to do that through disciple-making. That he said, I'm going to entrust the kingdom to a few. Jesus invests in a few. 
Have you ever asked yourself why Jesus didn't have a megachurch? He could have. Everywhere Jesus went, he had crowds following him. He could have at any time been like, this is the biggest synagogue in Israel. I'm going to take this over and we're just going to plant this thing here and we're going to have a huge crowd that's going to come every week and they're going to listen to me teach and that's going to be the thing. Jesus could have had a huge church if he had wanted to. But instead, what do we see Jesus do? Every time the crowds get big, Jesus makes the most ridiculous and awkward statements you've ever heard. The crowds are getting huge. What does Jesus say? If anybody wants to be my follower, take up your cross and come follow me to death. People are like, no, I've seen crucifixion. We're not going that path. We're going somewhere else, right? Hey, if anybody wants to be my follower, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, nope, checking out. Sorry, that one's not going to be part of the deal. I don't need anything to do with cannibalism in this movement, right? I'm out. And so Jesus constantly, every time the crowds get big, he starts narrowing it back down. He's going, if you really want to be part of my kingdom, here's what it's going to look like. And so Jesus invests in a few, and he teaches them his ways. And then when he leaves, he expects that they're going to replicate that model. So what does Jesus do? Well, number one, he shares with them his truth and his life. He says, I'm going to share the power of the gospel with you, and I'm going to help you know what the gospel is, what the message of the kingdom is. I'm going to share these things. I'm going to share my life with you so that you know how to live in my kingdom. The second thing Jesus did was he connected them. He connected them to his church. He connected them to his father. He connected them to people. He connected them to purpose. He's going, I want you to be connected into this family that I've called you to so you know how to live out my kingdom ways in this family, to know my father, to know his people, to be engaged in relationship. It's through relationship that the church is born and is implemented. Jesus does everything in these relational ways of making disciples. Then he's going to say, now I'm going to train you to minister to other people. He sends his disciples out. He gives them tasks. He gives them mission to be a part of. So I'm going to train you to minister for the gospel. I'm going to raise up leaders who know how to do things in my kingdom that reflect the heart of my father so that the kingdom is perpetuated. So he trains them up to minister. And then the last thing he does is he releases them to go and make disciples. Because you've been following me. I've been investing in you. Now I'm going to release you. You go and make disciples yourself. And so that's the method that Jesus gives. Share our faith with people. Share our lives with people. Connect people to God, to his church, to his mission and purpose. Train people up to minister. And then release people to go and disciple. And as Jesus did that, he took a few. And he said, with this few, with these few people, I'm going to start a movement that's going to grow and expand. If Jesus had started a megachurch, he had the capacity to reach thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people. But through this avenue called discipleship, over the history of time, Jesus has reached tens and hundreds and millions of people. And so when we think about this, we go, Jesus had a purpose here in what he was doing, and he calls us to be part of the same thing. And what's cool about this is that these movements that happen through discipleship, they have this capacity the churches can't have. Because you can make disciples wherever you are. You can't necessarily plant a megachurch wherever you are. You can make disciples anywhere. You can make disciples if there's opposition to you. You can make disciples underground if you need to, where the church isn't even legal. We're seeing that happen all over our world. In some of the most persecuted places in the world, the gospel's advancing the, the fastest. Because people who are making disciples of Jesus, even when it goes against what their governments say, 
they're seeing the gospel spread. And so for us today, as we think about this, and the last challenge as we close our time up this morning is this, that God's kingdom is advancing. His kingdom is going to advance. He will establish his kingdom, and it will endure forever. We just have to ask ourselves, well, what's our role going to be in that? Are we going to be a part of helping this kingdom advance? Are we going to shine the light of Christ into darkness? Are we going to take the glory of the gospel out with us? Or are we just going to kind of be content to to sit and listen occasionally and come to church and worship but never be about the mission of Jesus, never be about the ministry of Jesus, never be about making disciples of Jesus? So what's our role? God invites us to be part of his process. He's including you. He's calling you in to be a part of something that he's been doing since his uh, return to heaven when he sent his spirit at Pentecost. And so we're now part of this church movement that's advancing the kingdom of God across the world. And so the last thing that I'll say as we close is this. Thinking about Pentecost, and it's interesting because when Paul talks about coming uh, to Corinth, he says, I want to stay with you, but I'm, I'm here until Pentecost, and now we're coming up on the season of Pentecost. And if you remember back to the very first message in this series, we talked about this day of Pentecost, the day that was a Jewish celebration and a feast time for the Jews. It happened 50 days after the Passover It's still celebrated today, but there's been this turn for us as Christians because Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit came down onto the disciples and they went out into the crowds and they preached the gospel. During this massive celebration in Jerusalem, they preached the gospel message that Jesus had come, he'd given his life, he had risen from the grave, and he had established a kingdom that they could come into. It's a departure from the kingdom of Rome. It's a departure from the kingdom of Israel. It's the kingdom of God. And you're invited You can come and be a part of this kingdom. And for us as a church, as we get to that place in just a couple of weeks, Pentecost is coming. And we've asked you to do the same thing that the disciples did before the Spirit came. They spent 10 days in prayer, asking God to move, asking God to establish his kingdom, asking God to do things that they couldn't do without him. And so we're doing the same thing. So as you leave this morning, there's a sign-up area on uh, the wall out in the gathering area. And I would love for you to go out and just find a time slot to volunteer to pray and to cover an hour. We're going to do 10 days of 24-7 prayer as a church. And I would encourage you to go out and find a time slot. Mark your name down. Put it in your app on your calendar so you remember. Get the notification to remind you. Sign up to pray. And be a part of asking God to do the same things today in our time to advance his kingdom that he was doing in this time with the disciples. To say, we want to be about your kingdom and your expansion and shining the light of Jesus and taking the hope of the gospel to the world so that people know there's a kingdom they can belong to, that they're invited in. And it's going to be a kingdom that never ends. They'll never be failed by this kingdom. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.